Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. On the biblical time calendar known as the 49 days of destiny, we call these biblical dates, we call these days the 49 days of destiny, but in reality, they're just called the, the seven weeks, but we have named them the 49 days of destiny, our ministry. That's what we've always called them. Why? Because the book of Ruth is a book of destiny, isn't it? And the book of Ruth takes place during the time period of the 49 days of destiny. Now, the question arises, first of all, why did God divinely design? Why was there a divine design of destiny that God ordained for the children of Israel when they left Egypt? Why did God command that there be 49 days set aside and on the 50th day, there be a celebration, a tremendous celebration. Now, I want you to understand in the New Testament, we see this same concept. We see in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible tells us Jesus made himself alive. After, for 40 days, after many infallible proofs, and on the 40th day, he ascended to heaven but he gave his disciples the instruction to wait till they be empowered from on high. This is what Jesus said. He commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me, for John truly baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And nine days later, they prayed for nine solid days for the Holy Spirit to come. And on the 50th day, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord and in one place. Why is the Bible going out of its way to say when the day of Pentecost was fully come? Because they were waiting for the 50th day. The feast of weeks was complete. Can you say that with me? So that means seven cycles of seven. That means seven weeks were complete. Are you all following me? So the question arises, why did God Almighty ordain that Israel consecrate seven weeks before they got to Mount Sinai? And what was the designation? First of all, I want to teach you the divine design of these 49 days. These 49 days, beloved saints, were the preparation for exaltation into the land of promise. And just like those 49 days or seven weeks were preparation for the exaltation of coming into the land of promise, so are these seven weeks preparation for the exaltation of your destiny, for the doors of destiny in your life to be opened. This is why it is so important to understand what happened in those 49 days. 
First of all, they're people of God. In the 49 days that we see, beloved saints, we are going to understand that within the seven weeks, it was God's will for them to come to Mount Sinai, receive the Ten Commandments, but receive the Torah, the whole entire Torah, to receive the Torah and to become a nation. And after they received the commission and received the responsibility and the call of God to take the Torah to the world, it was at the foot of Mount Sinai that Israel became a nation. Nationhood was granted at Mount Sinai that then they were to go up and possess the land of Israel. They were to go up immediately and take the territory. However, after Mount Sinai, when they journeyed to the, the land of promise, go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1, before we look at Ruth. I want you to go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1, and we're going to look at Deuteronomy for a moment. And we're going to see that there were some delays in destiny. How many people don't want to be detoured anymore? Anybody here tired of being detoured away from your destiny? How many people in this place say, God, I cannot afford another detour. I have to arrive at the place of my destiny. If that's you, put your hand up. All right. So let's see. Notice what the beloved saints, so beautifully. The scripture teaches us, hallelujah, don't you love the word of God? The Bible says in Deuteronomy, looking, beloved saints, at chapter one, looking at verse three. Let's look at verse three very quickly. And we are going to see, Deuter excuse me, Deuteronomy 11. Uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, Deuteronomy one, not 11. <laughs> I don't know where we got 11. Did I say 11? Help us. Help us. It's 11 days. I don't know where I got 11, uh, chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 1, we're looking at, beloved saints, verse 2. It says, there are 11 days journey from the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. That means that the children of Israel left Egypt, came to Mount Seir, which is right near the borders of Kadesh Barnea. Once you arrive at Kadesh Barnea, you're actually in Israel. Did you know that? Kadesh Barnea is geographically within the land of Israel. So it was 11-day journey from Mount Sinai. Mount Horeb is the same as Sinai. That they would get to the borders of the Promised Land, a quick journey. But guess what? It was God's will for them to go right in. And all they had to do was wait 40 days for the spies to come back after spying out the land from Kadesh Barnea. And they would have gone right in and taken the territory. And they were ready for it. They should have been ready for it. Because the seven weeks was designed to make them be in a place of preparation the seven weeks were designed by God as a preparation for the exaltation into God's divine design of destiny through the teachings that Moses was going to give them. So they would have gone into the land, spied it out, come back, conquered it, and that would have been it. But guess what? They went up into the land and they came back with an evil report. Why? Because all the seven weeks 
did not profit them. The seven weeks of teaching that was ordained by God to train them. Because why? They were going to be trained for what was ordained for their destiny. You cannot go into destiny without training. I hope you understand this. God has a word for you. If you're going up higher, you have to be taught. The doors aren't just going to open. You've got to understand there are there is a process to entering into the promises of God. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. So we must understand this. Now, what was the process and what was the purpose? You and I must understand the land of Israel is like no other land. And you and I must understand that the preparation to take the territory and to take possession of it was to prepare a land governed by a people governed by the Torah. And we must understand that this land is now going to be governed by the laws of the word of God. So we understand that God is causing a people, uh, God is causing these people to be governed by his word. And this means he is creating a people of greatness. And I want you to understand why the creation of the people of greatness. The people of greatness does not mean that they're just great people. A people of greatness means that there is greatness that is going to be implanted in them. And that in the seven-week period, God was going to bring a divine design of how he is going to make them great, high above all the other nations through values and through commandments. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. So we must understand their people of God look at the word of God, we must understand that preparation for taking possession of the land. This was a land governed by a people of greatness. And so we must understand, looking at Genesis chapter 46, verse 2, the Bible says, and God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. And God said to him, I am the God of your father. Fear not to go down to Mitzrayim. For there I will make of thee a great nation. A great nation doesn't just mean a big nation. A great nation doesn't just mean a popular nation. A great nation doesn't just mean a good nation. A great nation means a people of greatness. Do you understand? It is God's will to make his people a people of greatness. And I'm going to share with you what that actually means because it has nothing to do with this world or this world system. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. All right. So here we see that the Torah values, we are going to see that the commandments and that the Torah values are, are going to be taught in these 49 days of destiny. And for you and for me, the Torah values or the biblical values are going to be taught to us from Passover to Pentecost. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. And for the children of Israel, when they left Egypt, it was actually absolutely essential that they be formed and shaped in the foundation and the formation of a people of greatness. Why, dear people of God? So they could take possession of the land of promise. Because we must understand that God 
was going to give this nation, this nation of, of God's, of his people, uh, uh, the nature of Hebrew identity is actually going to be Torah values. Say it with me. The nature of the Hebrew identity is going to be a people of values. I want you to understand this. This God had to give them an identity, a national identity before they got to Mount Sinai. Are you with me? So we must understand that the nature of the Hebrew identity are the Torah values that are going to govern the people of greatness. Say this with me, the Torah values, the biblical values that are going to govern a people of greatness. All right, this is so important. Do you know why this is so important? Do you know why God had to cause the values of Torah, the teachings, biblical values, say biblical values are Torah values. So if you hear me use the word Torah, don't get thrown for a loop. It just means the commandments through the eyes of Hebrit, all right? But we must understand that the nature and the identity of this nation is going to be their values. This is what's going to make them different from all the nations. It's their values. Hello, somebody. I'm speaking to you. Biblical values. Values that are going to be different from all the other nations of the earth. And God had to pour those values in them because they were coming out of a nation that had no value whatsoever. A nation without conscience. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. Let us look at this a little bit further, okay? Let us study this a little bit further. Say this with me. I do not want shallow anything shallow. I want to go deep in the things of God. Jesus died on the cross that he, I would give my entire self to him and say, I'm not going to waste one minute. Hallelujah. All right, so in a literal sense of scripture, for the children of Israel to be able to fully take possession of the promises of God, we must understand that they had to be trained for what was ordained. Say this with me. They had to be trained for what was ordained. Put your hands up right now and say, Holy Ghost, I'm willing to be trained for what is ordained in my life, for my destiny, for my future, for what you have prepared for me. I want to be trained for what is ordained, for that, that great purpose, for that great destiny that you have ordained for my life. Now give God praise and give God glory. All right, so we need, to, we need to understand they had to be trained for what was ordained. And the training session that was ordained by God, dear people of God, was the seven-week period that God was going to reveal through Moses the teaching of the laws of the land that were going to be the laws that the land of Israel was going to be governed by, which are fully biblical values. Are you with me? Now, in a literal sense of scripture, when they left Egypt, we must understand that a polytheistic society has no concept of values. A polytheistic society 
has no concept in the ancient biblical times. In the ancient biblical world, back in the days of Egypt, we can tell by the narrative. Does it look like this nation has a conscience when they have enslaved human beings? Does that show us the conscience of a nation? To take a human being, take their dignity away from them as a human person and put them under forced labor, take away their dignity and make them uh, in, a, in a system where they will be the lowest on the lowest level. Is that, is that something that demonstrates a nation of greatness? No, it does not. It shows the abuse of the human person. It shows the devaluation of the human being. It shows no respect. So now God is going to teach them in this 49-day period ethical and moral responsibility toward one's neighbor. Can you say this? Ethical and moral responsibility toward our neighbor. Because in Egypt, there is no ethical or moral responsibility toward your neighbor. God has to teach it to them because the land of Israel is going to be governed by those values. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. The land of Israel is going to be governed by those values. So we need to understand that exiting Egypt is more than leaving the premises. Say this with me, exiting Egypt on this fifth day of Passover is more than exiting the premises. We must understand that Israel never was taught in Egypt how to defend the marginalized. This was not a concept. The marginalized or the dehumanized was not a concept to raise them up or protect them. It was not a concept to take responsibility for the vulnerable. Quite on the contrary, you murder the vulnerable. And if there is something in your society that you feel that you can control, if there's some way to control, you murder. And so what did they do? Pharaoh ordered the deaths of the Hebrew children to be thrown into the river to control by murder. Is this a value system? The answer to that is no. It is not a value system. It is a nation without conscience. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Murder and the dehumanizing and the terrorizing of human beings does not make a nation great. That is not the equivalent of greatness. But God is going to teach his people through the commandments moral responsibility for the poor. Moral responsibility and ethical responsibility, ethical obligation to take care of the weak and the vulnerable. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. That's the whole purpose. They're not ready. They don't know anything about it. How can they go up and take the land? God doesn't say, hey, here's the land. Here's the keys to the car. Go have a ball, kids. Just go out there and just drive as fast as you want. 
No, God didn't do that. God said this is a land that has to have those persons living in it that have the same stature, the same spiritual stature as its founders. And the founders of that land walked in moral responsibility for their neighbor and took ethical responsibility and refused to participate in any activity that would cause another human being to be degraded or dehumanized. That is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And so we see, dear people of God, that in these 49 days of destiny as the B'nai Israel were leaving Egypt, they would be taught by God the social, ethical, and moral values that would be inculcated into the land of Israel. This is why the training in the commandments was so important. And this is why they had to also have training in interpersonal relationships. They had to have training in behavior, how you behave toward your neighbor. They had to be trained in socio-responsibilities and in ethics. And actually, the land of Israel was really designed to create a utopia. That was really what it was designed for. A place where man would take care of fellow man. A place where God's holy name would be lifted up. So unless the constituents that inhabit the land of Israel do not are not governed by those values, then the name of God is going to go down. Do you understand? This is what it means. I will make you high above all the nations of the earth. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. I'm going to ask Pastor Sanji to read it. Then we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 13. And I'm going to ask... Uh, someone else to read that. I'm going to ask Rev. Gregory to read that. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 13. And then we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 19. And I want you to see Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. Pastor Sandra will read that also. Let us look at this. Hallelujah. Read it for us. Set you on high, what? Above. Say it with me. Above what? Above what? What does it mean to be above all nations of the earth? Is God saying, you follow these commandments and guess what? I'm going to reward you with making you the best nation that ever was. Is that the way it is? No, it is not. God is not saying, if you obey my commandments, and I'm just going to reward you with being high above all the nations of the earth. No, that is not what God is saying. God is saying, by obeying my commandments, greatness comes into you, 
that is a clashing contrast with the other nations, the other nations that have no conscience, the other nations that have no morality, the other nations that have no ethical responsibility toward their neighbor. This is what greatness is, to take responsibility for your brother. I am my brother's keeper. Do you understand? Say this with me. This is what greatness is. is, greatness is. To take responsibility for my neighbor. I am my brother's keeper. Hello, are you with me? Are you following? Please read Exodus, excuse me, Deuteronomy. Who had Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 13? Rev. Gregory. And thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath. If that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do. You will be above only. What does that mean? Don't you dare become contaminated with the degenerate system of the world. Walk in the ways of God and be high above the system of the world. Are you with me? A system of kindness. A culture of kindness. And I'll share with you some of those laws in a minute to show you. And the rewards that come automatically when God sees that his name is being lifted up. A person's being raised up. When you practice these values, you get raised up. God promises to raise you up if you practice these values. Ruth is the sign. It's not just only the Hesed boomerang. It's much more than that. It's that you go above. You see, people of this world, they think, well, if I can just connive my way into that, into that door, and I don't care who I destroy in the process, I can sure get myself a name. Wow, if I could sure get my foot in the door in that company, whoo. I don't care if I have to move somebody out. I'll just chew them up and spit them out. That's the world. Okay? The world says, just make sure that your resume is a killer resume. And then you go and present your documents, and they don't choose you. Then you have a nervous breakdown. And you say, I can't understand why they didn't choose me. I have much more qualifications than the person they chose. Well, sometimes star employees are based not on their, not just on their resume, but on their compatibility and their workability within the company being compliable. Actually, years ago, we did a survey on star employees in the corporate world. And which out of, out of certain companies, which type of employee would be chosen? The, cho the person with more qualifications for the job that actually is a perfectionist in what they do or someone who is able to comply and just flow and, and be very 
very compatible with all the other employees. And eight out of 10 said the star employees were the workable ones. Those are the ones they'd rather have. Hello, I, I can get a witness anywhere. That's from an actual survey from the world. But we put all of our value in the world. We do live in this world. But child, let me just give you a little hint here. The world isn't going to get you anywhere. What the way you are going to succeed in life is by taking the values of the word of God and putting them into your life. And when you inculcate them into your life and treasure them and love them and live them, you shall rise above, high above. You will be above and not beneath. You will be the head and not the tail. You will succeed. Are you with me? It's just like that. And so the next one, who has the next promise? Deuteronomy 20, 26, I believe. Yes, would you read that, Apostle D? And, and he will set you high above all nations which he has made in praise, in name, and in honor, and that ye may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. He's going to set you high above all the nations. And name and praise and honor, it doesn't mean praise like you're going to get the glory. It means people aren't going to believe it. They've never seen it. They've never seen a society where a landowner is ordered by law that the four corners of his land, he cannot harvest, he cannot plant for himself. It's called hefker. That those four corners belong to the poor. And that the poor any time come into their property, they don't need to ask permission that the four corners, one sixtieth of their land of each corner belongs to the poor that they can come and take whatever they need at any time. Say this with me. These are biblical values. Who has ever heard of a nation that the landowner, when their whole living and their whole their whole system of their society is agricultural. And that at the time of the harvest, the law of the land is the paupers must be in the field with you. The paid workers and the paupers. The paupers are the widows, the strangers, and the orphans. They get to come into the field and they get harvest also. Do you know how they get harvest? Through divine providence. Do you know what divine providence is? Divine providence in Hebrew is the world uh, word ashkaha pratis, meaning individual watching. Individual watching. You know what that means? Individual watching means that the Almighty knew that little widow was going to cry. 
And so he set it up in the harvest that the landowner, when he got his, when he started to take his, his, all of his harvest off the vine, left some of the harvest by accident on the first run. And guess what? The law was, if you're harvesting and you left some accidentally on the vine, you could not go back and get it again because it was meant for the poor, for the fatherless, and for the orphan. Individual watch. You see, just read that right now, high above. Read that again, Apostle D. All right, let's look at Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. Exodus 19, verse 5, and see what happens at the foot of Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. Notice what it says. Now, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me, for all the earth is mine. Notice, go back to verse 5. It says, you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me, for all the earth is mine. Notice verse 6. The Bible says, uh, you shall be a kingdom of priests to me, a holy nation. Go back up to verse 4. and Oh, no, verse 5. I'm sorry, I missed it. Verse 5. It says, a peculiar treasure unto me. What? Let's say it together. One, two, three. A peculiar treasure unto me, what? I didn't hear. I didn't hear it. Say it one more time. Say this with me. Above. Say above. Say Deuteronomy 28.1. Above. Say Deuteronomy 28.13. Above. Say Deuteronomy 26, 19, above, Exodus, chapter 19, verse 5, above. Say the values make you above. Hallelujah. You are made above. You are made like royalty. You see that Malkut is only through Hesed. Only when you are applying Hesed can you understand royalty. The children of Israel needed this teaching desperately. Do you know why? Because the book of Joshua tells us when they were in Egypt, they did not serve God. They served the idols of Egypt. They were not some innocent little nation just taken by Pharaoh. They were taken out of the house of bondage. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, your father's. The Bible says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. 
and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood. In, and in Egypt, they served them and served the Lord. Are you with me? They served the gods of Egypt when they were in Egypt. So they have to be re-educated. They have to learn values because with that system, there is no accountability to your neighbor. Hello, somebody. Go with me to Leviticus 19. All right, I'm going to tell you something. When we're looking at commandments, I'm going to teach you something. There's two kinds of commandments. There's weighty commandments, and there's lighter commandments. Say with me, weighty commandments and lighter commandments. I'm only teaching you what Jesus is teaching, okay? I'm not going to teach you anything else. I'm just teach you the Bible. Say weighty commandments and lighter commandments. What's a lighter commandment? Let me give you an example of a lighter commandment. A liar commandment is taken from the book of Deuteronomy. And God gives the commandment concerning a mother bird. A mother bird, when she has little birdies in her nest, you cannot, it's a violation, do not take the mother bird away from the little birdies. Or you break the commandment. That's called a lighter, lesser commandment. But there are some commandments that are so weighty, you have to build a fence around them. Because if you start getting in dangerous territory, you could really mess your life up. You could mess up the whole system. Because the whole system was God put it together to love one another. And so two weightiest commandments. Jesus teaches us. Matthew chapter 22, looking at verse 36 through verse 40. Look at the text really quickly. I'll teach you the difference between weightier and lighter. This is rabbinic. This is a rabbinic way of teaching the word of God. The Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 22, looking at verse 36, Matthew twenty two thirty six says, and going back to verse 35, only for context, one of them, which was a lawyer, this is happening, let me just tell you, when these Pharisees were surrounding Jesus and they heard that he put the Sadducees to silence, because the Sadducees and the Pharisees did not agree doctrinally on anything. Because the Sadducees, first of all, did not believe in the infallibility of God's word or that it was divinely inspired. That's the complete opposite of the Pharisees. The Sadducees did not believe in the concept of the Messiah, but the Pharisees did. The Sadducees did not believe in reward and punishment at all. They figured when you're dead, this is their, their way of believing, when you're dead, you're gone, and there's no reward, there's no punishment. The Sadducees also did not believe in angels or anything supernatural, but the Pharisees did. 
So when the Pharisees saw that Jesus put the Sadducees to silence, one of their lawyers is going to ask Jesus a question. I want you to know that's a tremendous act of respect. It's not a challenge to bring him down. Because would an orderly in a hospital, would a brain surgeon ask an orderly in the hospital something about how to perform a surgery? Yes or no? Would an orderly, in, would a, a brain surgeon or someone who is, who is a, a, let's just say, a genetic scientist, and he works in the hospital, would he go to his secretary and ask a secretary, tell me what you think about these genetics? Would he do that? No, why? Because that person doesn't have the capability. When you see doctors of the law asking Jesus a question, they would never ask an Amha audits. An Amha audits was, were the people of the land, the people who had no understanding at all of Torah and teaching Torah. So a lawyer is going to ask Jesus, this is a tremendous acts, this is a tremendous uh, if you will, attribute of these people that show that they recognize that Jesus is the teacher sent from God. And he asked him a question, testing him, saying, look at verse, 20, verse 36, Master, notice he's calling him rabbi, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the Torah? What does this tell us? This tells us there are some heavy, weighty commandments, and there are some lighter commandments. Got it? Say it with me. Weightier versus lighter. Okay, got it? Hear it? All right. Which commandment is the great commandment in the Torah? Notice what he says. Jesus said, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and weightiest or greatest commandment. If we don't love the Lord above all things, it's a commandment to love God and to always love him first, above everything. But there's a second one. Notice number, he says, this is the first and greatest commandment, but look at verse 39. And the second is like unto it. This is weighty. This is not minimal. This is not something that is just going to be a light commandment like the commandment of you're saving a bird. You've got to save a bird. It's a commandment. Don't allow the little bird to be in the nest without its mother. There are all kinds of commandments, whether you realize it or not, against animal cruelty in the word of God. And that's a lighter commandment. But some of us place more emphasis on the lighter things and we place no emphasis on the weightier matters. Do you remember when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees? What did he say? He said... You pay, you put your emphasis 
on the on the lighter matters, but the weightier matters of justice, righteousness, you have left undone. Hello? You left it undone. Ooh, that's scary. The second is likened unto this. This is a weighty commandment. You will love your neighbor as yourself. Where do we find this? In Leviticus 19, verse 18. Turn with me. It's the Torah commandment. It's the whole, it's the whole system of the land of Israel in the original formation of it. The Bible says you will not avenge. You will not bear a grudge against the children of my people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Let me just share with you, give you a little example. Let's just say when you were growing up, your mama never had enough money to buy the groceries. Say your daddy left home, mama worked two jobs, and whenever she was in the grocery line, you always wanted ice cream. But mama would always say, I'm sorry, sweetheart, we can't afford that this week. Put the ice cream back. The little guy goes and he puts the ice cream back. The ice cream gallon is probably bigger than him. He puts it back in the freezer. And you see the mama in the line ahead of you. She's counting the pennies. And she's wondering, can I buy this detergent to wash the clothes for my children? And you're in the second. You're behind her. And you're watching her struggle but you're feeling it really heavy because you went through it with your mama. And now you're very successful. You got some cash in your pocket. And so to love your neighbor as yourself means you put yourself in the position the neighbor is. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And so you say, excuse me. Maybe you couldn't say it to the mama, but you say it to the little boy. Tell mama, I've got $50 here for her. And mama just about falls off her chair and says, oh, my God, you got $50 for me. Jesus told me to give you this $50. Mama says, wow. She's just been healed, delivered. The children are jumping up and down. The little guy gets his gallon of ice cream. Hello, are you home? That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Because you remember how you felt when you were in that position. This is a weighty commandment on Judgment Day. We are going to stand before God, and we are going to be judged by did we love our neighbor as ourselves? 
Sorry to say that, folks, but it's the truth. And the real way we perform that commandment is that we do unto others what we want done to ourselves. That if I was in that position and I was a mama in the line, and I couldn't pay for the groceries. I would want someone to help me. Or a little guy who's up there trying to be on a baseball team. And you're a coach. You could really change your child's life by being a coach. You could put that little child in a good place, give him special lessons. And that child could be an incredible athlete because you loved your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's what love your neighbor as yourself means. You see, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Guess what? That's not in the Torah. That was a, a, a commandment that was developed by hatred of the Romans. It was a cultural commandment developed by the society. They changed God's law. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. And it looks like a commandment, doesn't it, the way it's the way it's structured? But if you know the Torah, you know that's not in the word of God. You don't love your neighbor and hate your enemies. You love your enemies. And you pray for those who despitefully use you and abuse you. That's what Jesus teaches. Hello, are you home, saints? Are we home tonight? Okay, where are we going with this, Dr. Corral? We are going to the blessings of destiny. Because when we look at Ruth, when we see Ruth Hamalka, when we see Ruth, Ima Hamalka, mother of royalty, a woman who was under a curse by her nation, a woman who should not have been entered into the congregation of Israel. Go with me quickly before we close to Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. The Bible says it so clear. Ruth should never have entered. She had no admittance to enter. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, not no Ammonite or Moabite can enter the congregation of Israel for to the 10th generation, even to, hallelujah, to the 10th generation, they shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Why? Verse 4, they're under a curse. They're under a curse. Hello, did you hear what I said? I said they're under a curse. Because anyone who curses Israel is under a curse. And anyone who blesses Israel is blessed. 
Because God said that to Abraham. Whoever blesses you will I bless, and whoever curses you will I curse. Hello, somebody. Because they met you not with bread and water in the way, and when you came forth from the land of Israel or the land of Egypt, because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, of Pethor, of Mesopotamia, to curse you. That's why no Moabite could enter the congregation. Ruth is a Moabite. She's not only going to enter the congregation, she's going to be the mother of King David, the grandmother, great-grandmother. Hello? She's going to be through her line, through her is going to come the Messiah through the marriage of Ruth and Boaz. Because God is going to show the rewards, how you become high, how you are risen up when you walk with Hesed, how two kinds of love, love that's superficial and love that's sacrificial. Superficial love is empty. This is why so many marriages, God help us, they fail. It's not really anyone's fault. It's that they haven't been taught. There's nothing worse than somebody coming and saying, am I really going to marry this person? They make me feel so good. What? Wait a minute. Oh, I'm going to marry this person because they meet all my needs. Hold it. Where did you get that? Then when they don't meet your needs, it's adios amigos. And, they, and, and then they go to the divorce court and they say, he just couldn't meet my needs. She just couldn't meet my needs. Wait a minute. Are you cuckoo or something? Didn't somebody teach you about marriage? Didn't you have a course? Didn't you read the Bible about agape? But this is what happens. Superficial. Not worth five cents. Somebody just didn't meet your needs. So selfish. That's not worth five cents. You know, I normally never talk on that. But I have to give an example. Because we're talking about Ruth and Boaz. And the whole reason they were put together was that Boaz was a man of Hesed. And Ruth was a woman of Hesed. And you need Hesed and Hesed to make King David. Hello? Hello? Are you with me? Yeah, that's what you need for Malkut. That's what you need for the king of Israel. You have to have the nation built on Hesed. Understand? This is why at the beginning of King David's anointing, on the day he's anointed, after waiting all these years, after Saul is finally gone, on the day of his anointing, 
Bible says the men of Hebron, 2 Samuel chapter 2, came and anointed David king over Judah. And immediately, King David is showing hesed. Bible goes out of its way to say he's showing kindness to the men of Jabesh Gilead who took care of the bones of Saul. And he's going to reward them for showing kindness to Saul. The whole entire kingdom is going to be built on principles of kindness. Showing kindness to others. You see, it doesn't fly in the kingdom when you want to be the greatest over being the most important. It doesn't fly. Being great in the kingdom is being the servant of all. Are you with me? Let us stand tonight. 49 days of destiny. We didn't even get to Ruth 1-1. That's all right. We got a good introduction. Raise your hands toward heaven. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Oh, Jesus, we worship you. Korebe kashunda lalaba kashukra basanda. Kekerebo korobo satatalaba grobotiri. Makusha karabura batatali. Tishiko rabasota rodoposa. Hoshikerebe karabosatalabasanda. Lord, we worship you. Let us just ask the Lord tonight. Let us just raise our hands toward heaven. Give him glory and give him praise. Lord, tonight we ask you that as we embark in these 49 days of destiny, we do not want to go around this mountain 38 more years. We do not want to be in the land of Kadesh Barnea and never be able to enter our promised land. We're in the place. We've gone through everything. We've been delivered out of Egypt. We've got all that we've ever needed or asked for. And somehow we've sabotaged ourselves. Lord, we want to hear the teaching. We want to hear the teaching of your word. We want to hear the teaching. Just pray in the spirit. Prepare us for 49 days. Open doors of destiny. Open doors of our ministries. Open doors in the kingdom. God, I give you praise. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Yes, Lord, we give you praise. Doors of destiny are opening for us to love one another. Thank you, Lord. To love, to, to honor, to love one another as he has loved us. John said, I speak unto you not a new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. And that old commandment is to love one and is to love your neighbor as yourself. And also a new commandment do I give unto you. Because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. 
That new commandment, as Jesus said, a new commandment do I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. Two commandments of love. One, to love your neighbor as yourself, and the other, to love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know you are my disciples, that you love one another. Let us ask the Lord for that anointing of hesed. These 49 days to come into such a beautiful union with the Lord, every door is going to open. Every door is going to open. Every door for you is going to open once Hesed begins to flow through your life. Every door of destiny, every door of favor, every door for your children, every door for your, for your family, every door for your career, every door. Lord, I give you praise for the favor that's coming on God's people to show Hesed, Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord God, I give you praise. There is going to be such an outpouring. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. Hallelujah. The Lord is telling me to tell mama and dad, mom and dad today, that your hands are so blessed. The Lord is saying he's blessing your hands and the work of your hands. And these hands are going to help so many people. That's what the Lord is telling me. And Papa, God is saying the same thing, my dear brother, my dear, dear brother and friend. God is saying he is using you and your family and all oh, the things that you're so concerned about. The Lord says not to worry. That this is going to be, a, a, he's taking care of your family. He's taking care of your children. He's taking care of everything that concerns you, all your loved ones. And, Lord, we praise you and we thank you. And we worship you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We adore you, Lord. And we give you praise, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, sweetie. Your burden is so heavy. The Lord has seen your burden. Tonight, we just want you to rest on his bosom. And to know he's with you. He's going to carry you through. You're not going through it alone. Jesus is your best friend. And he will not leave you or forsake you. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. We give you praise and we give you glory. Come on, give God praise and give God glory. Say this with me. Lord, tonight is the inauguration for the 49 days of destiny. Come, Holy Spirit, prepare me for Pentecost. Prepare me for the anointing. Take me to a new level of glory in the mighty name of Jesus. And I give you praise and thanks. Baptize me new with the Holy Spirit as never before, but with sensitivity toward my neighbor in Jesus' name. Now give God the praise. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, 
Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.